may be seated. Well, again, good morning. Glad you all are here. And uh, I don't know about you, but it is a big deal to celebrate 10 years. And I'm glad we get to celebrate our 10-year birthday all together with you guys. And, uh, and this is just going to be an amazing time. So uh, I want to start by telling a story. This story happened 20 years ago, actually, in the month of October in North Carolina. Laura and I were on a date and we uh, went to this beautiful park. I took Laura to this beautiful park and uh, in North Carolina. Here's a picture of it. And we crossed this little ornate bridge, as you can see there. And we walked past the chapel. And behind that chapel, or kind of the side of that chapel, is uh, like this little gazebo. And, uh, and we got around the corner at the gazebo. There was this, you know, all these trees and flowers. And when we got there, there was this single rose sitting there and a poem that had been framed sitting there. Now, I knew that. Laura didn't. The reason I had had that place there by a friend of ours uh, is because this was a big night. This is the night that I read the poem to Laura, and I got down on one knee, and I asked her to spend the rest of her life with me. I asked her to marry me. And thankfully, let me just say, uh, and a mystery to some people, she said yes. And I'm thankful for that. Now, the reason I tell that, that that happened almost 20 years ago, it'll be 20 years this coming summer, the reason I tell that is because two reasons. One, a story is powerful, isn't it? A story is powerful. But what is even more powerful than just a story is what leads to the story. You know what leads to a story? The word yes. And a train horn. That was pretty good timing. <laughs> right? Even, even the train is saying, hearing what I'm saying. This is good stuff, right? But a yes is powerful. If Laura had not said yes in that moment when I got on one knee and I asked her to marry me, if Laura had not said yes, then uh, our marriage, 20 years, doesn't exist, right? It doesn't exist. It doesn't happen. Three children, Jackson, Hannah, and Tanner, two of whom are in the room here right now, they don't exist. They don't have life. If Laura does not say yes, if she says no, if she doesn't say yes, then it's quite possible, we don't know this for sure, but it's quite possible, maybe even likely, that Northridge Church does not exist because it would have changed my path dramatically. Right? A yes is powerful. And so today, I want to talk about a simple word that we don't think a whole lot about. The word, yes. Yes is powerful because it leads to a lot of different things. And so today, really, if you think about it, 10 years as a church only happens because a lot of people said yes to God. You guys would not be here today, literally today, but in general, unless you said yes to God at some point. So many of you said yes to God. Some of you said yes more than 10 years ago. Some of you eight. Some of you three years ago. Some of you just said yes today. It's awesome. But you said yes and it has power. And so what I want to do is I want to look at a story where a yes is also really powerful. 
It's, it's a story in Scripture that happens in the New Testament, and it's about a guy named Saul. If you've ever heard of Saul, you know a little bit of his story, but I want to talk about Saul. So Saul is a Jesus hater when we pick up the story. Yeah, that's right. I know. Isn't this great? We're at church and we're going to talk about Jesus haters. Isn't that good? All right? Welcome to 10 years at Northridge. Let's talk about Jesus haters. All right? Congratulations. Happy birthday. Well, we're going to talk about Saul. Jesus was a Jesus, or Saul was a Jesus hater. He hated people who followed Jesus. He hated believers in Jesus. And that's not, a, that's not too strong of a word. He hated them. In fact, where we pick up the story is after he has already gone on this road, on this town, on, this, on his way to Damascus. And the reason he's going to this town of Damascus is because he is on his way to arrest and chain and drag away Christians, people who believe in Jesus. That's what he's going. He's going to Damascus to find, because he found out there's a whole bunch of believers in Jesus in Damascus. And so he wants to arrest them and haul them away in chains and have them at least imprisoned, if not maybe executed. Right? He's a Jesus hater. And he's on the road, and he's on his way to Damascus, and Jesus shows up in front of Saul in a dramatic way. He shines this bright light into his eyes and down on him, and Jesus speaks to him in a, in a voice, in his voice. And, and Saul hears him, but he can't see him, because when he sees the light, and when he hears Jesus' voice, Jesus blinds him. He blinds his eyes so that Saul can't see. And some of you are like, wow, yeah, let's say yes to Jesus, sounds great. But that's what happens. You can read all of this in Acts chapter 9. And Saul is blind, and so the men that are around him, they kind of help walk him all the way to the town of Damascus because Saul all of a sudden can't see. He's never had this problem before, and so now he's blind, and so they get him to Damascus, to this house in Damascus, and he's going to stay there for three days blind because of this encounter with Jesus until Jesus sends a messenger to Saul. And that's where I want to pick up the story. So Saul is in this house for three days. He's been blinded by Jesus himself, and he's been in this house, and now God is going to send a messenger to Saul to kind of take care of this problem. Let's pick it up there. I'm going to be in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to start with verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. Now understand, we don't know where that is, but Ananias did, right? God is giving him Google Maps like, here you go, this is where you need to go, right? That's, that's just directions. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias. By the way, that's you, Ananias. <laughs> coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. So let's be honest what's going on here. God comes to Ananias and he says, Ananias, I need you to go get this guy. I need you to go talk to this guy about Jesus. His name is Saul. He's at this house on Straight Street. Remember Judas on Straight Street? Yeah, he's staying at his house. And I need you to go talk to Saul. Now, the, the first thing that Ananias says is, uh, Lord, I've heard some bad things about that guy. Right? This guy came to Damascus to arrest people like me. 
Like, I believe in Jesus, and he's here for me. He has the authority of the leading priests in Jerusalem to arrest us and haul us away and maybe even kill us, maybe even execute us. And you want me to go talk to him and pray with him and tell him about Jesus? Really, God? That's a great idea. What about no? He kind of pushes back on God. He's like, uh, have you heard about this guy? Do you know who you're talking about here? This is Saul. Now, just to put this into context, just to kind of put this understanding a little bit more close to home, imagine a person or a group of people who you're intimidated by, okay? Maybe it's a boss at work. Maybe it's an executive team at work. And the only time you really get to talk to them is when you present statistics to them or you make a presentation to them and you don't really get to interact with them. But they have control over your company and control over your life or over your job. And so you're intimidated by them. Or maybe you're in high school or middle school and you, there's a group of people that they seem like the cool kids, the popular kids. And, and whenever they're walking down the hall, you're just kind of like, uh, you, the floor is really interesting, right? And you're like, man, I just avoid those people. They're, they're intimidating. Or maybe, maybe you are an athlete. Maybe you're in the popular crowd. But then when you get into like a math class or a computer science class or something like that, and you just feel like you're a fish out of water, and, and there's these kids over here, they, they just get it. Like they start talking, throwing numbers, and they just get it like that. And you're like, you're totally intimidated by them. And then God comes to you in a vision and says, hey, I want you to go to that group of people, and I want you to tell them about Jesus. Oh, yes, thank you, God. That'd be great. I don't even want to, I'm intimidated by them as it is. I don't even, I'm going to, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go lay hands and pray with them. That's a great idea, God. That's exactly what God is asking Ananias to do. Now, here's what's cool. Ananias says yes. Even though Ananias is scared, he doesn't want to do it, and he has no idea how this interaction is going to go. He might get arrested Ananias says yes, and he goes to this house, and he lays hands, and he prays on Saul, and he tells Saul about Jesus. And guess what Saul does? Saul also says yes that day. He says yes to Jesus. He, he accepts Jesus, and he becomes a follower of Christ, and he gets baptized that day, right? And, and, and all of these things happen, but that's not the coolest part. Saul, as a result of this, becomes a new person. He becomes somebody completely different. Let me just read for you what happens next. This is just a few verses down. Same chapter, Acts chapter 9. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Did you catch that? They're like, isn't this the guy that came to our town to arrest us? And now he's hanging out with followers of Jesus? Now he's playing euchre with them? Like, like this is amazing. Like, he, you, are you serious? He's hanging out with people who follow Jesus and he's become a follower of Jesus and now he's preaching about Jesus? This is dramatic. This is a huge change. And this brings up an important point. Why is yes so powerful? Why is it so powerful? The reason yes is powerful is because it leads to transformation. It leads to change. It leads to you and me 
becoming something completely different than what we were before. So I ask the question, why does it matter that Northridge has been here for 10 years? I could ask it in a more brutal way, who cares? Who cares that Northridge has been here for 10 years? Does it matter? And the answer is, yes, it matters, but only because it has been the catalyst for God to help people say yes to Jesus over and over and over again. So I will say this, because of Northridge, but because of God's power through Northridge, there are people in this room who uh, have gotten into fostering of kids. Now, now, some of us might say, ooh, that's a big deal. No, it's a huge deal. You know why that's a huge deal? Because what that means is they have said yes to God, and the reason they got into it is because God asked them to say yes to that, and so they started fostering kids, which means they pulled kids out of situations and gave them a loving place where they had none. People don't just end up in foster care. They go to foster, they end up in foster care because their situation at home was so detrimental, so dangerous, so caustic that it may even cost those children their lives. There are people in here at Northridge who have been transformed and they've transformed kids because they got into foster care. There are people in this room who have adopted kids because God told them to. And they had to say yes to God. That changed their lives. And it changed, let me just tell you, it changed the kids' lives. I know. Because I've hung out with many of them. But then it continues. There are a lot of stories. There, I remember a, a Palm Sunday. Uh, this was early on. I, it was maybe our first Palm Sunday ever as, at Northridge. So this is like probably close to 10 years ago. And I get a text from a guy from Northridge Church, and it was after the services that we'd had that morning, and he texted and he said, Brent, I don't know what's going on, but I don't feel right. And I'm like, so, somehow I knew it wasn't a medical thing, it was just a spiritual thing, you know? And so I texted back, I was like, okay, what's going on? Like, what, you know, what do you want to do? And, and after, throughout texting, I could tell that this was not a texting conversation. This needed to be like an in-person conversation. And so we set up a time to meet at really, at that time, the only place that was open past 8.30, 9 o'clock in Wanakee, McDonald's. Yay. Who knew McDonald's was such a holy place? I mean, have you had their fries? Clearly it's holy. Right? And so we met the next night, Monday night, at, it was like 9 o'clock at night, and we meet in the back corner of McDonald's, and we start having a conversation about God, about faith, about the Bible, and, and about Jesus, and all this kind of stuff. And, and it really, that, the conversation was amazing, but at the end of that, you know what we did in the, in the back corner of McDonald's at like 10.30 at night? He prayed to receive Christ. He prayed to give his life to Jesus, and it changed his life forever changed his family forever. Their family's still here, still involved, highly involved at Northridge. There's uh, another gal who was a 4K teacher for my son Jackson. Her name is Yvonne Ziegler. How many of you know Yvonne Ziegler or are here because of Yvonne Ziegler? All right, a lot of you know her or are here because of her. There you go. 
Uh, Yvonne, so this is funny, but she was, she was a teacher, a 4K teacher, and, and my Jackson, uh, Jackson was in her class, and uh, Jackson, during the recess, would, would take her over to the fence, and he would point over here to this building, to the visitor center, and he'd say, that's my church over there. And, and, and she admitted this later. She's like, I thought he was just, I didn't know what he was talking about. Because he pointed to the community center. He's like, That's not, there's no church over there. I don't know what he's, four-year-olds. <laughs> you know, they have no clue what they're talking about. Until a couple months later, Laura and I came in for a parent-teacher conference. And somebody else was there. And she asked Laura and I how the church was doing. And I kid you not, if you know Yvonne Ziegler, you know this is exactly what happened. She did this. She went, looked at me. She went, you're a pastor? I mean, just like that. Like, she didn't hide it. If you know Yvonne, she doesn't hide things. Like, if she's feeling it, she's saying it. And she, apparently I didn't have the look of a pastor. Right? After that, she started coming to Northridge. Now, she passed away years ago. Just a couple years after this. But she invited, I think, literally everybody she knew. Because after she passed, after she died, everybody I met who met Yvonne, she said, oh, you're Brent. She said, I have to come to your church. Which again, if you know Yvonne, that's exactly how she rolled. We could spend the next couple of hours, I could spend the next couple of hours telling stories. I'd love to be able to do that. We, we don't have the time for that. But let me just say that God has done amazing things. Some people that aren't here today, right? One of the people, two of the people that would have been the most excited and cheering like crazy today would have been Jenny, would have been my dad. But it's not just them, it's in the transformation that happened in their life, but it's the transformation that's been happening in everybody's life. And here's the important thing. The truth is that a yes is powerful because it leads to transformation and, and formation and new things in Jesus. But what it also does is transformation leads to more transformation. You change the path, you change the trajectory. You're going this way, but a yes in Jesus means now you're going this way. And I love that because that's Saul's story in the New Testament. Saul gives his life to Christ, and then he starts preaching. And you know what happens? Saul starts tons of new churches. Just like you guys, some of you guys that stood, Alan and Marie and the Valks and Jensen's, and some of you guys that were here at the very, very beginning. Some of you have been here for eight to ten years. Some of you have been here for just a couple years. But guess what? Every one of us, regardless of whether this is your first time at Northridge or you've been here since before the beginning, you're a part of God's story. And transformation is huge. But here's the important piece of this. Our yes is not possible unless we get the first yes. And you know where the first yes came from? Came from God. God gave us a yes first. Let me prove this to you. 2 Corinthians 1, 19 through 20, listen to what it says. It says, For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you, and as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. 
For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen. Did you know that that's what amen means? When you say amen, it would be kind of weird if I say in Jesus' name and everybody went, yes. Right? It'd be weird. And so what we say is amen. But you know what amen means? It means so be it. It means literally what Scripture says is it means yes. What was just spoken, what was just prayed for, what we just asked God for, yes, I agree, yes, we want that, yes. That's what amen is. Jesus is the ultimate yes. By the way, do you know who wrote those words? Saul. At that point, he was known by Paul. He's the one that wrote that. Paul ends up leading thousands of people to Christ. He ends up writing about half the books of the New Testament. Transformation is huge. And so we've all heard this. Here at at Northridge, we're celebrating 10 years, right? And 10 years is great. But what we don't realize is the ripple effect of Northridge is going to go far beyond what we know. And we've all seen, right, we've all heard this illustration. If there's a drop or if you say yes to God, then that's going to start a ripple effect. And those ripples are going to go far beyond what you know. It's going to affect people way more than you know. In fact, if you look at those ripples, look at those ripples. Those ripples don't just stop after the first decision, do they? They continue on. And look at all the other ripples. The ripples actually interact with each other. Your decision to say yes to God is going to impact other people to say yes to God. The ripple of you saying yes is going to end up saying yes to other people. So let me try to prove this to you that your yes has far more reach than what you realize. So I want to just tell you one more story. Back in the 1920s, so yes, almost a hundred years ago, back in the 1920s there was this teenager named Cliff. And Cliff uh, had a raging alcoholic father. Loved his alcohol. Drank it all the time. And as a result of that, his father, when he was an alcoholic, was a, an angry drunk. And he would beat Cliff a lot. Very often. Some of you have lived this story. And this teenager named Cliff, he eventually had enough, and so he left home and ended up living with one of his relatives, his aunt, somewhere else. And uh, kind of fast forward the story, he meets this beautiful young gal named Juanita. They fall in love, but wouldn't you know it, Juanita is a faithful follower of Christ. She had said yes to Jesus a long time before this. And so because of Juanita's yes to God, Cliff, as a result of that influence, says yes to God, and he gives his life to to Christ, and he becomes a follower of Jesus. And as a result of that, several months later, he hears God's call on his life, and Cliff actually becomes a pastor. Woo! Spends the rest of his life as a pastor. Pretty amazing. But then not only that, but he and Juanita, they raise their kids 
to follow Jesus and know the Bible and, and, and learn to love God. And, and of course, they have to make their own decision of whether or not they're going to follow Jesus, but they do, they follow Jesus. And then those kids, they teach their kids about Jesus and to follow Jesus, and they make their own decisions to follow Jesus. Now, some of you might be wondering, well, who is this Cliff guy? Why are you telling this story? The reason is because that second generation of kids who followed Christ was a daughter who happens to be my mother who's sitting in the room today. Cliff is my great-grandfather. It's very possible, maybe likely, that if my great-grandfather does not break the cycle of sin and alcoholism in our family a few generations ago, almost 100 years ago. It's very possible I am not here. I'm not following Christ. Northridge Church doesn't exist. Do you see the power of yes? One person. One person's yes to God potentially changed everything and here I am today. Northridge's story is a celebration of people saying yes to God. We have had close to 100 people throughout these last 10 years who have said yes to Jesus for the first time and have gotten baptized. That's a big deal. That's, that's over 100 people who are not going to spend eternity separated from God, but are going to spend it with Jesus as a result. That's a big deal. Our story is really good. And by the way, we're going to have inflatables. We're going to go eat food. I'm sorry there's no dunk tank, but we're going to have a good time anyway. But we're going to party. We're going to have a blast celebrating 10 years. But let me just say, I'm glad that we have fun here at Northridge. Oh my goodness, we have a lot of fun. But can I tell you that our church has zero value unless we see transformed lives with Jesus. And we have amen to that. Yes. And so, I want to take a few moments, just a few minutes here. And we need to celebrate what God has done over the last 10 years. So we put together a video that tells a little bit of the story of Northridge, but then really just celebrates a lot of the people, not everybody. Let me tell you, to pick a few pictures for 10 years worth, wow. But we're going to celebrate what God has done with transformation of lives over the last 10 years. So take a look at this, and then I'll wrap it up.
Sometimes I think What will people say of me When I'm only just a memory When I'm home where my soul belongs Was I loved But no one else would show up Was I Jesus to the least of us Was my worship more than just a song
yes is powerful. Amen. Praise God. That is why 10 years is important. A yes is powerful because it leads to transformation. Because it leads to us surrendering and saying yes to something that maybe we don't know where it leads. We don't know what the ripple effect is going to be. And let me just say that just like an iceberg, you see that top 10% of an iceberg, but 90% is below. 10 years is awesome, but God, let me just say this, God, I'm declaring this, God is just getting started. We, ju- we haven't even, we've barely started, people. I know, ten, we need to celebrate 10 years, but we need to celebrate the next 150, 200, whatever years that God is going to reach people for Christ and transform lives. What addictions will be dis- defeated? What relationships will be saved? Who will be helped? Who will be brought out of addiction and some kind of dangerous situation as a result of what God is going to do? That's what I get excited about. So let's celebrate the 10 years that we've had, but let's also celebrate the 10 years and the years beyond that God is going to call us to. And so the question becomes for all of us, there's no better question than this. What is your response going to be to God today? Will you say yes? Because God is still asking. He didn't stop. He, doesn't, he didn't say, 10 years, guys, good job. There's the recliner, you can sit down. In fact, completely opposite. Now it's like, what God do you want to do? And what are we going to say in response to what God is asking? Will you say yes? Will you say yes? Will you say yes? We're going to end in a powerful way. Because a yes also leads to something else that we didn't spend much time talking about today. But it leads to God's blessing in your life. And so we're going to end by singing a blessing over you. We've done this a couple of times at Northridge, but we want to send you out. I know you're coming back for the party, but we're going to send you out singing God's blessing over you if you are willing to say yes. So let me pray, and then we're going to sing. Lord Jesus, Thank you for your faithfulness through 10 years of ministry at Northridge. But God, we recognize that you're not done yet. Lord, we recognize that you are never done. That that there is more to do, that there is more that you're calling us to. That 10 years is a great start, but it is just that, a start. And that the story continues. The story is still being written and you have so much more to say. And so help us, every person in here, every person who's even slightly a part of Northridge or fully immersed at Northridge, may you help us to say yes to whatever you have for us, whatever you're calling us to do. Help us to say yes to you, Jesus. And we look forward to what you're going to do in the days ahead, the years ahead, 
And God, may you just pour your presence on this place in these next few moments as we sing a blessing over every person that's in here. We ask for your blessing. We pray this, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.